0: part one chapter two of a lost lady by willa cather this librivox recording is in the public domain but we will begin this story with a summer morning long ago when mrs forrester was still a young woman and sweetwater was a town of which great things were expected that morning she was standing in the deep bay window of her parlour arranging old-fashioned blush roses in a glass bowl glancing up she saw a group of little boys coming along the driveway barefoot with fishing poles and lunch baskets she knew most of them there was Niall herbert george pomeroy's nephew a handsome boy of twelve whom she liked and polite george adams son of a gentleman rancher from lowell massachusetts the others were just little boys from the town the butcher's red-headed son the leading grocer's fat brown twins ed elliott whose flirtatious old father kept a shoe store and was the don juan of the lower world of sweetwater and the two sons of the german tailor pale freckled lads with ragged clothes and ragged rust-coloured hair from whom she sometimes bought game or catfish when they appeared silent and spook-like at her kitchen door and thinly asked if she would care for any fish this morning as the boys came up the hill she saw them hesitate and consult together you ask her nile you'd better george she goes to your house all the time and she barely knows me to speak to as they paused before the three steps which led up to the front porch mrs forrester came to the door and nodded graciously one of the pink roses in her hand good morning boys off for a picnic George Adams stepped forward and solemnly took off his big straw hat. "'Good morning, Mrs. Forrester. Please may we fish and wade down in the marsh and have our lunch in the grove?' "'Certainly. You have a lovely day. How long has school been out? Don't you miss it?' "'I'm sure Niall does. George Pomeroy tells me he's very studious.' The boys laughed, and Niall looked unhappy run along and be sure you don't leave the gate into the pasture open mr forrester hates to have the cattle get in on his blue grass the boys went quietly round the house to the gate into the grove then ran shouting down the grassy slopes under the tall trees mrs forrester watched them from the kitchen window until they disappeared behind the roll of the hill she turned to her bohemian cook Mary. When you're baking this morning put in a pan of cookies for those boys i'll take them down when they're having their lunch the round hill on which the forester house stood sloped gently down to the bridge in front and gently down through the grove behind but east of the house where the grove ended it broke steeply from high grassy banks like bluffs to the marsh below it was thither the boys were bound when lunchtime came they'd done none of the things they meant to do they'd behaved like wild creatures all morning shouting from the breezy bluffs dashing down into the silvery marsh through the dewy cobwebs that glistened on the tall weeds swishing among the pale tan cattails wading in the sandy creek bed chasing a striped water-snake from the old willow stump where he was sunning himself cutting slingshot crotches, throwing themselves on their stomachs to drink at the cool spring that flowed out from under the bank into a thatch of dark watercress. Only the two German boys, Reinhold and Adolf Blum, withdrew to a still pool where the creek was dammed by a reclining tree trunk, and, in spite of all the noise and splashing about them, managed to catch a few suckers. The wild roses were wide open and brilliant, the blue-eyed grass was in purple flower, and the silvery milkweed was just coming on. Birds and butterflies darted everywhere. All at once the breeze died, the air grew very hot, the marsh steamed, and the birds disappeared. The boys found they were tired, their shirts stuck to their bodies and their hair to their foreheads. They left the sweltering marsh meadows for the grove, lay down on the clean grass under the grateful shade of the tall cottonwoods, and spread out their lunch. The Bloom boys never brought anything but rye bread and hunks of dry cheese. Their companions wouldn't have touched it on any account. But Thaddeus Grimes, the butcher's red-headed son, was the only one impolite enough to show his scorn. You live on weenies to home. Why don't you never bring none? He bawled. Hush said Niall Herbert. He pointed to a white figure coming rapidly down through the grove under the flickering leaf shadows. Mrs. Forrester, bareheaded, a basket on her arm, her blue-black hair shining in the sun. It was not until years afterward that she began to wear veils and sun hats though her complexion was never one of her beauties her cheeks were pale and rather thin slightly freckled in summer as she approached george adams who had a particular mother rose and nile followed his example here are some hot cookies for your lunch boys she took the napkin off the basket did you catch anything we didn't fish much just ran about said george i know you were wading and things she had a nice way of talking to boys light and confidential i wade down there myself sometimes when i go down to get flowers i can't resist it i pull off my stockings and pick up my skirts and in i go she thrust out a white shoe and shook it but you can swim can't you mrs forrester said george most women can't oh yes they can In California, everybody swims. But the sweet water doesn't tempt me. Mud and water snakes and blood suckers. Ugh! She shivered, laughing. We seen a water snake this morning and chased him. A whopper! Thad Grimes put in. Why didn't you kill him? Next time I go wading, he'll bite my toes. Now, go on with your lunch. George can leave the basket with Mary as you go out she left them and they watched her white figure drifting along the edge of the grove as she stopped here and there to examine the raspberry vines by the fence these are good cookies all right said one of the giggly brown weaver twins the german boys munched in silence they were all rather pleased that mrs forrester had come down to them herself instead of sending mary even rough little thad grimes with his red thatch and catfish mouth the characteristic feature of all the grimes brood knew that mrs forrester was a very special kind of person george and Nile were already old enough to see for themselves that she was different from the other townswomen and to reflect upon what it was that made her so the bloom brothers regarded her humbly from under their pale chewed-off hair as one of the rich and great of the world they realized more than their companions that such a fortunate and privileged class was an axiomatic fact in the social order the boys had finished their lunch and were lying on the grass talking about how judge pomeroy's water spaniel fanny had been poisoned and who had certainly done it when they had a second visitor shut up boys there he comes now that's poison ivy said one of the weaver twins shut up we don't want old roger poisoned A well-grown boy of eighteen or nineteen, dressed in a shabby corduroy hunting suit, with a gun and game bag, had climbed up from the marsh, and was coming down the grove between the rows of trees. He walked with a rude, arrogant stride, kicking at the twigs, and carried himself with unnatural erectness, as if he had a steel rod down his back. There was something defiant and suspicious about the way he held his head. He came up to the group and addressed them in a superior, patronising tone. "'Hello, kids. What are you doing here?' "'Picnic,' said Ed Elliot. "'I thought girls went on picnics. Did you bring teacher along? Ain't you kids old enough to hunt yet?' George Adams looked at him scornfully. "'Of course we are. I got a twenty-two Remington for my last birthday.' But we know better than to bring guns over here. You better hide yours, Mr. Ivy, or Mrs. Forrester will come down and tell you to get out. She can't see us from the house, and anyhow, she can't say anything to me. I'm just as good as she is. To this, the boys made no reply. Such an assertion was absurd, even to fish-mouthed Thad his father's business depended on some people being better than others and ordering better cuts of meat in consequence if everybody ate round steak like ivy peter's family there'd be nothing in the butcher's trade the visitor had put his gun and game-bag behind a tree however and stood stiffly upright surveying the group out of his narrow beady eyes and making them all uncomfortable george and Nile hated to look at ivy and yet his face had a kind of fascination for them. It was red, and the flesh looked hard, as if it were swollen from bee stings, or from an encounter with poison ivy. This nickname, however, was given him because it was well known that he had made away with several other dogs before he had poisoned the judge's friendly water spaniel. The boys said he took a dislike to a dog, and couldn't rest until he made an end of him. Ivy's red skin was flecked with tiny freckles, like rust spots, and in each of his hard cheeks there was a curly indentation, like a knot in a tree bowl, two permanent dimples, which did anything but soften his countenance. His eyes were very small, and an absence of eyelashes gave his pupils the fixed, unblinking hardness of a snake's or a lizard's. His hands had the same swollen look as his face, were deeply creased across the back and knuckles, as if the skin were stretched too tight. He was an ugly fellow, Ivy Peters, and he liked being ugly. He began telling the boys that it was too hot to hunt now, but later he meant to steal down to the marsh, where the ducks came at sundown, and bag a few. I can make off across the cornfields before the old cap sees me. He's not much on the run. He'll complain to your father. A whoop my father cares. The speaker's restless eyes were looking up through the branches. See that woodpecker tapping? Don't mind us a bit. That's nerve. They're protected here, so they're not afraid, said precise George. Humph! They'll spoil the old man's grove for him. That tree's full of holes already. Wouldn't he come down easy now? Nile and George Adams sat up. Don't you dare shoot here. You'll get us all into trouble. She'd come right down from the house, cried Ed Elliot. Let her come, stuck-up piece. Who's talking about shooting anyway? There's more ways of killing dogs than choking them with butter.' at this effrontery the boys shot amazed glances at one another and the brown weaver twins broke simultaneously into giggles and rolled over on the turf but ivy seemed unaware that he was regarded as being especially resourceful where dogs were concerned he drew from his pocket a metal slingshot and some round bits of gravel i won't kill it i'll just surprise it so we can have a look at it bet you won't hit it bet i will he fitted the stone to the leather squinted and let fly sure enough the woodpecker dropped at his feet he threw his heavy black felt hat over it ivy never wore a straw hat even in the hottest weather now wait he'll come too you'll hear him flutter in a minute it ain't a he anyhow it's a female anybody would know that said nile contemptuously annoyed that this unpopular boy should come along and spoil their afternoon he held the fate of his uncle's spaniel against ivy peters all right miss female said ivy carelessly intent upon a project of his own he took from his pocket a little red leather box and when he opened it the boys saw that it contained curious little instruments tiny sharp knife-blades hooks curved needles a saw, a blowpipe, and scissors. Some of these I got with a taxidermy outfit from the youth's companion, and some I made myself. He got stiffly down on his knees, his joints seemed disinclined to bend at all, and listened beside his hat. She's as lively as a cricket, he announced. Thrusting his hand suddenly under the brim, he brought out the startled bird. It was not bleeding, and didn't seem to be crippled. Now you watch, and I'll show you something, said Ivy. He held the woodpecker's head in a vice made of his thumb and forefinger, enclosing its panting body with his palm. Quick as a flash, as if it were a practised trick, with one of those tiny blades he slit both the eyes that glared in the bird's stupid little head, and instantly released it. The woodpecker rose in the air with a whirling corkscrew motion darted to the right struck a tree trunk to the left and struck another up and down backward and forward among the tangle of branches it flew raking its feathers falling and recovering itself the boys stood watching it indignant and uncomfortable not knowing what to do they were not especially sensitive thad was always on hand when there was anything doing at the slaughterhouse and the bloom boys lived by killing things they wouldn't have believed they could be so upset by a hurt woodpecker there was something wild and desperate about the way the darkened creature beat its wings in the branches whirling in the sunlight and never seeing it always thrusting its head up and shaking it as a bird does when it's drinking presently it managed to get its feet on the same limb where it had been struck and seemed to recognise that perch as if it had learned something by its bruises it pecked and crept its way along the branch and disappeared into its own hole there Niall herbert exclaimed between his teeth if i can get it now i can kill it and put it out of its misery let me on your back Ryan. Reinhold was the tallest and he obediently bent his bony back the trunk of a cottonwood tree is hard to climb the bark is rough and the branches begin a long way up niel tore his trousers and scratched his bare legs smartly before he got to the first fork after recovering breath he wound his way up toward the woodpecker's hole which was inconveniently high he was almost there His companions below thought him quite safe when he suddenly lost his balance, turned a somersault in the air, and bumped down on the grass at their feet. There he lay, without moving. Run for water! Run for Mrs. Forrester! Ask her for whiskey! No, said George Adams. Let's carry him up to the house. She'll know what to do. That's sense, said Ivy Peters. As he was much bigger and stronger than any of the others, he lifted Niall's limp body and started up the hill. It had occurred to him that this would be a fine chance to get inside the Forester's house and see what it was like, and this he had always wanted to do. Mary, the cook, saw them coming from the kitchen window, and ran for her mistress. Captain Forrester was in Kansas City that day mrs forrester came to the back door what's happened it's nile too bring him in this way please ivy peters followed her keeping his eyes open and the rest trooped after him all but the bloom boys who knew that their place was outside the kitchen door mrs forrester led the way through the butler's pantry the dining-room the back parlour to her own bedroom she threw down the white counterpane and ivy laid nile upon the sheets mrs forrester was concerned but not frightened mary will you bring the brandy from the sideboard george telephone dr denison to come over at once now you other boys run out on the front porch and wait quietly there are too many of you in here she knelt by the bed putting brandy between nile's white lips with a teaspoon The little boys withdrew, only Ivy Peters remained standing in the back parlour, just outside the bedroom door, his arms folded across his chest, taking in his surroundings with bold, unblinking eyes. Mrs. Forrester glanced at him over her shoulder. Will you wait on the porch, please? You're older than the others, and if anything is needed, I can call on you. Ivy cursed himself, but he had to go there was something final about her imperious courtesy high and mighty he called it he'd intended to sit down in the biggest leather chair and cross his legs and make himself at home but he found himself on the front porch put out by that delicately modulated voice as effectually as if he had been kicked out by the brawniest tough in town Niel opened his eyes and looked wonderingly about the big half-darkened room full of heavy old-fashioned walnut furniture he was lying on a white bed with ruffled pillow shams and mrs forrester was kneeling beside him bathing his forehead with cologne bohemian mary stood behind her with a basin of water ouch my arm he muttered and the perspiration broke out on his face. Yes, dear, I'm afraid it's broken. Don't move. Dr. Dennison will be here in a few minutes. It doesn't hurt very much, does it? No, he said faintly. He was in pain, but he felt weak and contented. The room was cool and dusky and quiet. At his house everything was horrid when one was sick what soft fingers mrs forrester had and what a lovely lady she was inside the lace ruffle of her dress he saw her white throat rising and falling so quickly suddenly she got up to take off her glittering rings she had not thought of them before shed them off her fingers with a quick motion as if she were washing her hands and dropped them into mary's broad palm the little boy was thinking that he would probably never be in so nice a place again the windows went almost down to the baseboard like doors and the closed green shutters let in streaks of sunlight that quivered on the polished floor and the silver things on the dresser the heavy curtains were looped back with thick cords like ropes the marble-topped washstand was as big as a sideboard the massive walnut furniture was all inlaid with pale-coloured woods. Niall had a scroll-saw, and this inlay interested him. "'There! He looks better now, doesn't he, Mary?' Mrs. Forrester ran her fingers through his black hair, and lightly kissed him on the forehead. "'Oh, how sweet! How sweet! She smelled! "'Wheels on the bridge! It's Dr. Dennison! Go and show him in, Mary!' dr Dennison set niles arm and took him home in his buggy home was not a pleasant place to go to a frail eggshell house set off on the edge of the prairie where people of no consequence lived except for the fact that he was judge pomeroy's nephew nile would have been one of the boys to whom mrs forrester merely nodded brightly as she passed his father was a widower a poor relation a spinster from kentucky kept house for them and niel thought she was probably the worst housekeeper in the world their house was usually full of washing in various stages of incompletion tubs sitting about with linen soaking and the beds were aired until any hour in the afternoon when cousin sadie happened to think of making them up she liked to sit down after breakfast and read murder trials or peruse a well-worn copy of St. Elmo. Sadie was a good-natured thing, and was always running off to help a neighbour. But Niall hated to have anyone come to see them. His father was at home very little, spent all his time at his office. He kept the county abstract books, and made farm loans. Having lost his own property, he invested other people's money for them. He was a gentle, agreeable man, young, good-looking, with nice manners, but Niel felt there was an air of failure and defeat about his family. He clung to his maternal uncle, Judge Pomeroy, white whiskered and portly, who was Captain Forester's lawyer and a friend of all the great men who visited the Foresters. Niel was proud, like his mother; she died when he was five years old. She had hated the West and used haughtily to tell her neighbours that she would never think of living anywhere but in Fayette County, Kentucky, that they had only come to Sweetwater to make investments and to turn the crown into the pound. By that phrase she was still remembered, poor lady. End of part one, chapter two.